This segment of the show is brought to you by the PGA Tour Superstore. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. Visit them online at pgasuperstore.com. Now, back to you, Chris. All right, now back with me, and it's humbling to say this, for an eighth appearance with me on Next on the Tee on the French Lick Resort guest line is Steve Mona. Let me remind you about Steve's background. He is the CEO of the World Golf Foundation, the organization that manages the World Golf Hall of Fame, the first tee in Golf 2020. Going back to the early 80s, Steve served as tournament director of the Northern California Golf Association. He then became assistant manager of press relations for the USGA and later the executive director of the Georgia State Golf Association. In November of 93, he became the CEO of the, of, uh, the Golf Course Superintendents Association of America, which he held until two, March of 2008, when he assumed the role as CEO of the World Golf Foundation. He is annually named by Golf Digest and Golf Inc. magazines as one of the most powerful people in the game of golf, and I'm excited he is back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Steve, thanks for coming back on the show. It's great to be with you, Chris. I didn't realize it had been eight times, but it's been great every time. I appreciate you saying that. So, uh, Steve, uh, I always like to start off our time together getting an update on the incredible amount of money that the PGA Tour generates for charity, as well as the impact it has on our overall economy. Can you give us an update? What were the impacts for 2017? Yeah, so from the PGA Tour perspective, uh, tour events raised about $180 million for charity in 2017, and that was an all-time record, as you mentioned. And those events helped to contribute to what overall was nearly a $4 billion impact in terms of dollars raised through golf for charity, which, as you noted at the top of the show, is more than all the major professional sports combined raised for charity. So it's an impressive number. And then the other piece of it that I think often gets overlooked is the fact that almost all the money that gets raised through golf goes to causes outside of the game of golf. So golf, we believe, really is a true community asset for the communities in which golf courses exist. And, Steve, I was, I was also surprised to see the President's Cup alone generated nearly $11 million for charities around the world. How is that amount of money generated just through that one event alone? So it comes from a couple sources. First, uh, PGA Tour does a great job with sponsorship, obviously, for the President's Cup. And so some of the proceeds from that inure to charities. And then in addition to that, uh, from ticket sales, uh, that too helps. And also on top of that, various sales that take place during the week, whether it be concessions, merchandise, et cetera. So you add it all up, and that's where you get the, the number from. And the thing that's unique about the President's Cup is the captains, the assistant captains, and the players all direct charitable dollars to charities of their choice as well. So it's a very unique event in that respect. And Steve, talking about merchandise, we know the PGA Merchandise Show officially kicks off tomorrow. We, we had some of the demo days going on down there today. But you know, talk about economic impact. I saw on your, on your Twitter feed you posted that the PGA Merchandise Show will have an economic impact of $84.7 million to the Orlando area. Talk about that. Well, it's just it's referred to as the Super Bowl of golf, and it's uh, in, in terms of the golf business side of the equation, and and that's absolutely true. There'll be forty thousand people 
here in Orlando this week. And obviously, most of those are PGA members themselves, golf professionals throughout the country. But beyond that, it brings together all of the leaders of the golf industry from all the various sectors. And that's what's of particular interest to me, because I spend most of my time, the three days that I'm here, in various meetings with these leaders from throughout the industry. So it's a true melting pot of all the leaders from really virtually all the sectors of the golf industry. So thinking about what you're going to be able to see and the time you're going to spend over the next three days, what are some of the things you're looking forward to either seeing from a merchandise perspective or folks that you're going to be meeting with, things you're going to be talking about? What, what are you looking forward to over the next three days? Yeah, so for me, it's more about uh, the different meetings and the different interactions I'm going to have. So, for instance, today we already had uh, our Golf 2020 advisory board meeting, which is about 40 individuals from all the different sectors who get together on an annual basis to talk about the major issues confronting the game. We give a broad overview on what our strategies are to address those issues. We receive feedback from the participants and then adjust our plans accordingly. And then over the next couple of days, I'll be participating in meetings with our, uh, we have a, a group uh, that represents our caddy task force. So the whole caddy youth caddy area is a priority for us. We'll have our diversity task force, which will meet tomorrow afternoon. Uh, diversity in the game is a huge priority for us. We have our junior task forces meeting also tomorrow. Um, that is also a priority. So that gives you, I think, a flavor of what to uh, expect, at least from my schedule's perspective. Then on Thursday, we have our We Are Golf annual membership meeting. We Are Golf is the golf industry's government relations initiative, and we'll have representatives of our firm in Washington, D.C., Forbes Tate Partners with us to talk about the year that was in 2017 and the year ahead in 2018 from a government affairs perspective. And Steve, as you talk about, you know, major issues confronting the game, what what are some of the issues you guys are going to be trying to tackle? Well, there, there are several. So let me just hit some of the, um, the high points. So we are addressing three specific demographic groups where the participation among that group in golf does not equate to what that group represents in terms of their representation of the overall population of the United States. So let me give you three quick examples. Uh, women are number one. We have a women's task force, Jane Geddes, former LPGA tour player, it chairs that. Uh, we are looking at ways to bring uh, more women into the game and keep them in the game. Um, so that's one area that we're focused on. The second area, as I mentioned, is diversity. Uh, we are focused on uh, bringing more people from diverse backgrounds into the game as recreational players, as competitive players, and then also very importantly as members of the golf industry in terms of those of us who work in the golf industry. And then the third area I wanted to call out uh, is our Millennial Task Force. We are seeking to increase participation in the game among uh, millennials and to bring millennials into golf so that they will stay in the game throughout their uh, lifespan and then also bring their own children into the game. So those are all three areas that we're very much focused on that we'll be having specific conversations and efforts around this week.
And Steve, it's interesting, a moment ago you mentioned caddies and looking at a caddy uh, task force or getting getting those sort of, uh, getting caddies back into the game. And I had Dennis Cohn on the show a couple of weeks ago, and he's working on a very similar project to get caddies out there on the golf courses again so talk about talk about the idea of getting caddies back into the game of golf junior golfers it seems like would be a great way to get more kids involved and make that a game of a lifetime if they had more caddy programs to get involved with and and then really one of the other things you and i've talked about in the past are the health benefits that are associated with the game of golf and boy it just seems like if you had more caddies and got and more people could walk and had a caddy, boy, it's just sort of like a win-win. It's, it's good for your health. It's good to walk. It's good to have kids involved in caddy programs. Talk about the initiative around trying to develop more caddy programs. Sure. So, uh, and you you mentioned the key word, and that is um, youth. This is about youth caddies, and this is about, and I want to be clear about this, bringing young people into the game who otherwise would not necessarily be exposed to the game through caddy programs. And if you go back a couple generations ago, this was the way that many people entered the game who otherwise wouldn't. They became caddies, youth caddies at local golf facilities, and they developed uh, an understanding of the game. It was a good source of income for them. They ultimately learned the game. They became lifelong golfers, and some even attained college scholarships through programs such as the Evan Scholars Program, sponsored by the Western Golf Association. And as time has gone on, uh, there still are caddy programs uh, throughout the country. They're, they tend to be in pockets. They tend to be in the Northeast, uh, the Midwest, and there are other programs uh, scattered about, but that's the highest concentration. But our belief is that we have overlooked for a number of years the fact that Young people can enter the game as caddies, and that is our motivation behind this. And we believe, as I said, that we can develop lifelong golfers. We can develop people who later give back to the game um, by virtue of the fact that they entered it through the caddy ranks, so to speak. You mentioned the health benefits of golf. That's also a big priority, and obviously walking contributes to that. But the interesting thing about golf is there are health benefits whether you walk or whether you ride. And we're, uh, in terms of our focus here, trying to merely communicate that playing 18 holes of golf or whatever you can play, if it's nine holes or less even, uh, will create certain health benefits. And so we are trying to overcome a perception that there are no particular health benefits associated with playing a game, but in fact there are. So obviously the, the best way to maximize the health benefits is to walk 18 holes, uh, but not everybody can do that for a variety of reasons. So even if you can't, there are health benefits to be inured. And we're just trying to communicate that to people and help them understand that golf can be a source of contributing to one's health and wellness. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I read a recent study that the University of Edinburgh did in conjunction with golf and the health project, uh, project that's going on and did a study suggesting that, you know, even going to a golf tournament, right? Because if you're going to go watch a tournament, 
typically you're going to walk around the golf course as well. So you get the walking benefits of, you know, watching a golf tournament and being around the golf course. That way you get the health benefits of, of walking or riding, you know, whether you're playing the game of golf or you're just out with somebody else who's playing the game of golf. There seems like there's a lot of health benefits that we don't really realize or people don't necessarily associate with the game, but studies are actually showing that there, there's a lot to be had, right? Absolutely. And that, uh, pro- that project you mentioned, we actually um, helped to fund that through the World Golf Foundation. But what you talked about specifically is a study that was done last year in uh, the UK uh, about the health benefits of spectating. And as you pointed out, Chris, most people who watch a golf tournament walk and follow players around or walk around the golf course, golf is by far the number one sport for health benefits associated with spectating. Because if you think about it, you go to a football game, you sit in your seat the whole time or a baseball game or a basketball game. Whereas in golf, now some people will sit, uh, say for instance, around the 18th green or something. But for the most part, most people are walking around the golf course. And um, that is something that a lot of people don't think about, but there are definite benefits associated with spectating at a golf tournament. Steve, I want to get back to to one thing that you mentioned a little earlier. Uh, one more on the on the PGA Merchandise Show. You talked about forty thousand people are going to be down there for this event, and I'm guessing this isn't your first rodeo, right? The first time around, you've been at a PGA Merchandise Show. I'm sure you've been going to a few of these. Talk about the growth. Would you, do you remember the first one you attended? First one I attended was in 1983. Uh, I was executive director, newly minted, of the Georgia State Golf Association and came here uh, from Atlanta. So uh, however many, what's that, uh, 35 years ago? And I think I've been to every one since. So um, it is incredible to see the growth since then. Yeah, what was the first one like? What was it like in 83? Well, uh, very different than today. I mean, just if you think about it from the standpoint of the exhibits, for one thing, uh, the technology in the game was very different then. Um, the kind of multimedia, if you will, was very different then. There wasn't a lot of multimedia, if you will. Um, I've always been, as you know, Chris, a golf uh, aficionado and somebody that can't get enough of it. So for me, every time it's great, but in, just in terms of the sophistication of the exhibits and the technology associated with it, um, it's it's very different today than it was uh, back in those days. But nonetheless, I would say this, that um, just the general level of excitement and buzz and enthusiasm, it's, re- it's remained pretty stable all those years. I mean, every year, the thing that's great about the PGA show is it's the first big event of the year. It brings the golf industry together. There's almost always a sense of sense of optimism. The year's getting ready to get started. Everybody's really excited about what's to come, both from the standpoint of the competitive side of the game, but also the business side of the game. The golf technologies evolve so much over time. Um, there's just a tremendous amount of excitement. It's just great being part of it. it it's a little bit like being a, a kid, and uh, this is apropos being in Orlando and just being let loose in um, Disney World for several days and kind of be on your own and go wherever you want to go. That's kind of how I feel with the PGA show. Steve, as as we kick off this this new year, do, do you have something 
you know, on your 2018 wish list that you'd like to see happen within the game, maybe with a player, maybe with an issue in the game, maybe equipment-wise? Is there something you're looking ahead to for 2018 and really uh, anticipating seeing or doing? Well, I'll tell you, there's one, there's one thing um, that's that happened in late 17 that um, got a little bit of airtime, but not a lot. And I don't think everybody really thought through the implications of it. And that is when um, the International Olympic Committee voted to continue golf in its Olympic program for 2024 and beyond. And, and nothing is forever. I get that. But golf is now part of the uh, Summer Olympic Games. It's a uh, it's a sport that's going to continue to be in the games for a long period of time. That was really significant because a lot of people don't realize that we were only in for two Olympic games, 2016 and 2020. And then after that, uh, there was no guarantee that we would continue to go forward. And now we are. And so that's number one. Number two, you saw in 2016 how some players elected not to play uh, in the Olympic competition and there are various reasons for that. But I can assure you that that will not be the case in 2020 when it's played in Tokyo and then moving forward beyond that um, when it eventually comes to Paris and Los Angeles and, and then beyond those uh, Olympic Games. So I cannot underestimate for your listeners the importance of golf being part of the Olympics because it does a couple things. One is it puts golf on a completely different platform uh, than it otherwise would have from the standpoint of the viewers who tune into the Olympics, uh, who have interest in other sports besides golf can be now exposed to golf. And then there's, there are huge numbers of casual fans that really only watch the Olympics and really aren't even really all that much of sports fans who will be, a, uh, who will be exposed to golf. So that's, that's one piece. But the other piece that also doesn't get much airtime that's really important is by virtue of golf being part of the Olympic Games, the IOC now essentially provides funding to all of the different governing bodies to help to support player development efforts for whatever Olympic sport that that governing body oversees. So in the case of golf, it's golf in that particular country. So we're here in the United States. That's really candidly not that much of an issue. We have a very sophisticated golf market. We have more than our fair share of player development programs. But you take a country that where golf is not part of the culture, now all of a sudden the whatever governing body exists to, to oversee golf in that country now has funding to establish programs to bring people into the game. The implications of that are going to be huge. So that, that got not much notoriety, but I think that was very significant, and I'm looking forward to see the results of that over the next several years. Steve, one more before we let you go, and we're inside 100 days until this year's National Golf Day, which is going to be on Wednesday, April 25th, up on Capitol Hill. Talk about, talk about that event this year and what your goals are for that event for 2018. Well, first, from the standpoint of just the event itself, uh, it's really going to be a great two days, really. National Golf Day really is now two days. We're going to have uh, on the d the day before, uh, for the second year, a national public service project where about 100 or more uh, of us will descend upon the National Mall in Washington to do uh, maintenance, actually, on the mall. We'll be working on the actual grounds there. 
We did that last year. It was fantastic. I can tell you it was one of these classic before and after pictures. Uh, it was that significant, and the same will be true again this year. Immediately following that, we will go to the National Press Club where we're going to announce the uh, National Economic Impact Study results, we do that once every five years. So when you talk about and I talk about how golf's a $70 billion a year industry, et cetera, that's where that data comes from. So we'll be announcing the newest results of that. Uh, we're going to have Fox News uh, evening anchor Brett Baer is going to speak at our, um, our kickoff briefing session uh, that afternoon. And then we're going to have a reception uh, in the U.S. Capitol building uh, with legislators and members of our coalition uh, that evening. And then the next day, we'll kick off National Golf Day with the first tee congressional breakfast. We'll have a uh, kickoff event uh, where we'll formally kick off uh, National Golf Day, and then we'll span out across Capitol Hill. There'll be about 150, maybe as many as 175, maybe even closing in on 200 people this year that will be engaging in meetings with members of Congress. We'll have... Uh, at least one meeting at the White House, and then um, certain of the agencies, such as the EPA, will meet uh, there as well. In terms of uh, our goals, they're really twofold, Chris. One is we want to continue with the education that we've been attempting to accomplish over the last decade now to help members of Congress and their key staffs understand the real scope of the golf industry and what golf represents to America in terms of its way of life, in terms of its economic impact, its charitable impact, all the things you and I have talked about. So that's number one. And then number two is we have some specific issues that we want to move along and attempt to uh, bring to resolution. Uh, we, I think we've talked about that in previous years. I won't get into all the granular issues, but we have several issues spanning from labor issues to environmental issues to tax issues that we'll be tackling uh, as well. So it will be a great couple of days in Washington, and I can tell you, after now, this will be our 11th year, we are making a difference. People in Washington, they know us now, they understand our key talking points, uh, they like to see us come around, and um, we're seeing the benefits of our efforts over the last decade. Well, kudos to you, Steve, and the whole organization that is going up there and continuing this work because it's fantastic stuff. I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your night to come back and be a part of the show. I always enjoy getting to spend some time with you. Let our listeners know, Steve, how can they stay up to date with all the great things that you're doing, whether it's online or it's on social media? Yeah, so probably the, um, the easiest way to stay up to date with us is through um, our We Are Golf Coalition. So um, I, I would just commend your listeners just to – uh, tune in to us, if if you will, uh, through our uh, wearegolf.org website. And from there, uh, they can uh, become connected with all of our various social media, I'm sorry, social media um, handles uh, as well. So that would be the one-stop shop, so to speak. And then they can be directed in a lot of different uh, areas by just uh, visiting that site. All right, there you go. Steve, thank you so much again for being a part of the show tonight. Enjoy the rest of the week there at the PGA Merchandise Show, and uh, hopefully we get the opportunity to catch up with you again real soon. Well, I look forward to it. Thanks, Chris. I appreciate being part of your show and uh, appreciate what you also do for the golf industry. Thanks very much. Uh
Ah, thank you, Steve. Take care. All the best to you and your family. We'll catch up soon. Thanks, Chris. That is Steve Mona. Again, look online. You, the Twitter handle is just like the organization, wearegolf.org, and at wearegolf. You can find it there right on Twitter and stay up to date with the great things they're doing. It's amazing, folks. Again, the economic impact that the game of golf has, the, uh, the charitable contributions that the game of golf does, again, more than the four major sports combined. All great things, you know, the major initiatives that uh, that they're undertaking are all right on. Can't wait to get Steve back on the show later on this year. He is fantastic, and they're doing great things.